Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blake, it is 8.30 Eastern Time, and we are coming at you today on Wednesday, November 29th, the day after uh, we normally come on, and I'm glad we do have a day after we normally come on so that uh, we can uh, kind of absorb uh, the new college football playoff rankings that came out uh, yesterday at 7 p.m. So uh, had we done the podcast yesterday, they would have been available to us, hot off the press. Uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, a lot still up in the air this weekend. Um, I don't know that uh, we've ever had as good of a conference championship weekend as we're about to have. At least it certainly looks like that. that that's what it's going to be on paper. Uh, let's get right to it, folks. We're going to be joined at 9 o'clock by the Buffalo bad boy meet. Mr. Pete Tasca, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk a little college football with Pete, but we're also going to talk a little bit of NFL football. A lot going on in NFL football. The New York Giants announced this week that they are benching Peyton, excuse me, Eli Manning, and his consecutive uh, game started streak will come to a conclusion at 210 games. We'll talk about that in our um, in our second segment tonight. We'll also talk a little bit of Buffalo Bills. Who would have thought the Bills go into Arrowhead uh, a, a, a week after they benched Tyrod Taylor in favor of, of uh, rookie Nathan Peterman, who threw, uh, I believe it was five first-half interceptions against the, uh, I was, was going to say the San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, but the saga goes on in Buffalo. But before we get to all that, we have a lot to discuss about college football so without further ado i do want to welcome our college football guru live from birmingham alabama where he just finished his show his weekly show on wjox in birmingham mr kip Kiefer. kip welcome to the show chip thanks very much uh, looking forward to a rousing discussion college football is at the height of its drama and uh, this weekend the championship games, basically de facto quarterfinal first round action in the in the uh, in the big dance. I guess uh, this is the closest thing we've ever had in college football to March Madness. I don't know what we're going to call it, December uh, dynamics, but whatever we come up with, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. It is going to be fantastic. And Kip, before we get into all the 
the the pending scenarios and boy even with a week left we've got a lot of pending scenarios but let's talk about a game that happened this past weekend down at Auburn Alabama a game that I attended uh, a game that uh, you and your listeners uh, over in the Birmingham area uh, uh, were very attuned to I, I suspect that's you know the one day of uh, the year when um, you know when everybody in Alabama is kind of doing the same thing right watching the football game and you know, uh, as everybody knows that listens to this podcast on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis, I am not only an Auburn fan, I'm an Auburn alumni, and I watch this team very carefully. Um, and, um, you know, uh, one thing is, is has been very clear this year with Auburn football, and that is you, you, you've seen a different Jared Stidham at the end of the year than you saw at the beginning of the year. And the same can be said for on Johnson. I can't remember uh, a, a ever a year in which on Johnson was a good running back coming into this season, but he's an elite running back today. Um, and the, the patience that he has, um, that, uh, uh, that he has learned this year, I don't know that I've ever seen a running back, um, learn patience as quickly as on Johnson has. And where he is today, not physically, we're going to talk about the shoulder injury in just a minute, but what, what he's been able to do and what he's meant for this team um, over the last three or four weeks, really three weeks, as Auburn, in, in a matter of a three-week period, has taken on two number one teams at home and beaten them both rather convincingly by double digits on both of them, they would not have happened. This Auburn team at the beginning of the year would not have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, And so, um, you know, this Auburn team and this Alabama team, uh, the body of work between the two teams aren't a whole lot different, Kip. Um, But where the teams are at the end of the year is very different. This Alabama team had a two-week period in September where they defeated Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I I think by a a cumulative total of 136 to 4 or 5. I mean, it was as dominating of a two-week stretch as I had ever seen in college football. Granted, Mississippi State and Ole Miss uh, were not – Mississippi State was. They entered 17. Uh, Ole Miss had some struggles this year, but it wasn't like they were playing um, North Carolina A and T or uh, uh, an FBS program. So m- much, you know, a, a different program. But I, I tell you that game, you know, as much as I want to believe in Auburn, um, and I do, uh, I had mixed emotions about that game, Kip, because uh, I live in the state of Georgia, as you know, and um, you know when when Auburn beat Georgia three weeks ago, I had. Uh, 12 months of bragging rights that were at my disposal. <laughs> and I still might have 12 months of bragging rights that were at my disposal. But uh, I might only have three weeks. I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to talk about – I don't want to preview the SEC championship yet. But, you know, the Auburn-Alabama game, Kip, want to get your thoughts on it. That, that was a game to me with the team that was, A, playing at home and with the team that clearly was – gathering more confidence and getting better as the season went on against an Alabama team who really peaked about five or six weeks earlier. And, you know, even though they've only had one loss, they they really haven't looked Alabama-esque over the last four or five weeks. And I think Auburn caught them at a good time. Your thoughts on this weekend's Iron Bowl down at Auburn? 
Well, I mean, let's just face it. The uh, the better team won. The better coached team in this case won. And I think that's uh, one of the things that you have to really tip your hat to Gus Malzahn, Chip Lindsey, Kevin Steele, the whole staff. Uh, not only did they win on the field in both these games against Georgia and Alabama, they the the, uh, the, the coaches uh, out coached the other sideline. Alabama East and Alabama West both taken down. Um, I, I have tremendous admiration for the game plans that Auburn rolled out in both of those games, really just playing. Uh, and, and it was so amazing because the big criticism after the LSU game was Auburn just uh, played not to lose in the second half, got real conservative, uh, just didn't play aggressively at all. But, boy, they just uh, they, they introduced the kitchen sink and everything else in these two games. Uh, I said on my show on Sunday the morning after that I thought – out of the 85 or so plays that Auburn ran, probably 70 of them were different. And that's always a risky proposition when you prepare an offense for a game because a lot of coaches will tell you we really need to stick to the basics of what we do. But, I mean, the playbook was wide open. They, they, uh, they, they threw quick slants. They threw quick outs. They threw little hitch passes in the middle. They, they uh, got their backs uh, uh, loose on the, on the edges. I mean, they really did just about everything you could possibly throw at a, a team. And they and that the bottom line was they made two of the most impressive defenses in the country look ordinary on both of those Saturdays. And uh, so, so kudos to Auburn coaches, players, uh, just a tremendous accomplishment. You remember back after the LSU game, Gus Malzahn said, well, you know, everybody doesn't need to panic. You know, this is a bad loss, but we still control our own destiny. And you know, I, 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 I said, you know, a lot of us, including myself, kind of snickered at that. You know, okay, Gus, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's, well. a good, that's a good positive thing to say. Yeah, for sure, and Auburn, and Auburn fans were the worst. That, that next morning, Chip, you can't believe the vitriol toward Gus Malzahn after the LSU game. People were fed up. And it was because I think, I think Auburn fans and a lot of college football fans recognized how much talent this team has. And uh, the, the, the feeling at midseason was that they're, here we go again, we're not going to live up to our potential. So for them to come up and deliver at the, uh, at the most important time, very impressive indeed. And to really unnerve, and, and let's, let's give the crowd at Jordan-Hare and the Auburn football team, Alabama, the very un-Alabama-like in, in the meltdown on Saturday, um, you know, I've watched some really bad games. I've watched a couple Tuesday night games, like in the MAC with, uh, you know, Kent State against uh, Miami of Ohio. I haven't seen any of those teams completely screw up two consecutive shotgun snaps. Uh, that was just <laughs> incredible. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable they, the mishaps that Alabama had in that game. And just the loss of poise, uh, again, credit to Auburn. One final thought on Alabama, you know, I, I think everybody got a real false sense of who this Alabama team is. They, they got by Florida State in the first game uh, when they were at full strength. But, of course, now we know that Florida State, uh, yes, they lost Francois, but there's no excuse that team's five and six. But Alabama certainly didn't overwhelm them. They had a couple of subpar performances against uh, some cupcake teams. And then they went on that three-game tirade that you made reference to before. That three-game stretch was at Vanderbilt when the Commodores were actually talking trash like they had a chance, 59 to nothing. 
Then they came home and played Ole Miss and Arkansas, actually, in the next two games and won those That's two right. games. That's right. I misspoke, Kip. Thank you for correcting me. I said Mississippi State. Yeah, no problem. That was a close game against State Mississippi State. Game was over State. In You're correct. Now, at that same time, I, yep. I know where you got – because Mississippi State had gone to Georgia the week before and got slaughtered, and then Auburn beat them worse the next week than on the plane. That's right, bro. And that was the anyway, same week, so thank you for stretch. correcting me. It was Vanderbilt and hey, Ole Miss. no problem. No problem. Yeah. That three-game stretch, Alabama outscored those three teams 153-10, to 10, and everybody uh-huh. really bought in right then. But as it turns out, uh, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Arkansas all end up being, you know, flaming train wrecks. So, you know, in retrospect, you look back, and that wasn't quite as impressive. And Alabama has had clear problems on the offensive line all year. If you watch the LSU game, they won that 24 to 10, but Hurts was under duress every time he dropped back, just like he was in the Auburn game. And they were darn lucky to win the Mississippi State game. Let's face it, uh, Mississippi State had them basically on the ropes. had a had a uh, had a had a four point lead and the ball inside the five in the uh, second in the uh, middle part of the fourth quarter and ended up settling for a field goal. If they'd scored a touchdown there, uh, Alabama may have lost that game. So Auburn just exposed what a lot of us that's watched Alabama closely this year uh, kind of knew, that this is this was not the elite Alabama team that a lot of people thought they were. They're not. They certainly looked like that about six or seven weeks ago. But, you know, uh, uh, we talk a lot about how long the NFL season, and it is. But, man, I, I can't remember a time in college football where – so many teams, really every team had huge peaks and valleys this year. Um, it wasn't all that long ago. Uh, it was actually Halloween, um, which was, uh, 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 what, four four weeks ago, I guess. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. four weeks ago, five weeks ago. Kibler, the first college football playoff ranking came out, and the rankings that came out yesterday – Clemson, number one. Auburn, number two. That surprised me a little bit. I thought Oklahoma would be two. Auburn, three. Wisconsin, four. That's no surprise. I was happy to see Alabama at five, and I'll explain to you why in just a minute. Georgia at six. Miami at seven. Ohio State, eight. Uh, Penn State, nine. Southern California, ten. Kip, it seems like so long ago, but it really wasn't. Do you remember who the top four teams were when the first college football playoff rankings came out? And do you know where they ended up in the poll? How many of the top four from the first ranking ended up in the top four in the final rankings? Yeah, Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, and I'm trying to think who the fourth team was in the first one. Um, But uh, was it Penn State, wasn't it? It was Clemson. Oh, Clemson, that's right, that's right. Yeah, Clemson has never been out of the top four. They've never been out of the top four. Yeah, so the the final rankings, excuse me, not the final rankings, but the final rankings of the regular season before the conference championships. Um, In the first ranking a month ago, Clemson was four, Auburn was 14, Oklahoma was five, and Wisconsin was nine. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so late in the season when we get to see these first playoff rankings. But, man, there's still a lot of changes. And, Kip, there's still going to be a lot of changes. So let's get right into that. And and let's start with with um, what we all believe and what I, I think is kind of a consensus out there is that there are at least two games 
in which the winner of those games is locked into the playoffs, and that is mm-hmm. the SEC championship game in Atlanta between Auburn and Georgia and the ACC championship game in Charlotte between Miami and Clemson. Would you agree that the winner of those two games are locked in the playoffs? I would say Alabama-Georgia, absolutely. I would say if Clemson wins over Miami, absolutely. I have about a 10% level of doubt that Miami is automatic if they beat Clemson. Uh, I think they would get into the discussion then, uh, assuming now that, uh, that there is a discussion, because if, if, if everybody holds serve, and not to jump ahead here, but the SEC winner is going to be in, Let's assume that, uh, that Clemson wins and they're in. If uh, Oklahoma beats TCU and Wisconsin beats Ohio State, the four that are there right now, uh, uh, well, the, the, putting aside the Auburn-Georgia, uh, if, if Auburn wins, then they're favored to win. But the top four right now would be the top four if everybody holds serve. Um, now, if Ohio State – But it never talk, works Wisconsin like that, does it, Kip? No, no. Yeah. I, I, there are I, always I, some surprises. That's what we're about to get to. But and you're we can right. talk about the other games. But if but if if it if it goes according that way, then uh, you know then there's there's really no no further debate. But if uh, one or two of those teams lose, my goodness, we're going to have some interesting conversations and an all night session in that committee room in Dallas as they consider the Final Four announcement for Sunday. Well, let's have some of those discussions now, Kip, because they've been having, you know, we've been, you know, uh, yeah. Sports Talk Radio and ESPN and Twitter World have been having these discussions. Let's talk about some of these scenarios because there's only one week of scenarios left. And it seems like the biggest discussion and the biggest decision that the committee is going to have to make if things play out like they are supposed to play out. Now, that's a big if because that never happens. But let's assume, and I, I I agree with you. I, I still think if Miami beats Clemson that they're in their body of work yeah. at that point. Not only do they have one loss, but then they beat a number one team. I hear you, though. Um, if, if you're solely looking at the top four best teams, you can make an argument, even if Miami beats Clemson, that possibly they shouldn't be there, um, only because uh, Clemson lost to a Syracuse team who's god-awful. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so that could come in. That being said, I think if Miami wins that they're in, I think the winner of the Georgia-Auburn uh, uh, game is in. So um, Oklahoma yep. is favored to beat TCU, and I think, Alabama, I think Oklahoma will beat TCU. They beat TCU in the regular season, 38-20 to 20 at home, pretty recently, week 11. Um, I think Oklahoma is playing the best football other than Auburn, than any team in the country right now. We played against Baker Mayfield last year um, uh, uh, in January in a bowl game. can't remember exactly mm-hmm. what bowl game that was, but um, Baker Mayfield is a street fighter, and he has a chip on his shoulder. He has something to prove. He wants to win a national title. With everything that's happened this year, he's on a mission. I, I wouldn't bet against this Oklahoma Sooners team for anything right now. I think they're going to beat TCU. Let's assume they beat TCU for the sake of this discussion. In just a minute, we're going to have a discussion assuming TCU beats them. But for the sake of this discussion, let's assume Oklahoma beats TCU. But then let's assume that Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Now, I'm not convinced that Ohio State is going to beat Wisconsin. I, I think Wisconsin 
really has a chip on their shoulder, and they're playing good football. Alex Hornibrook is a good quarterback. He protects the football. He doesn't make mistakes. Um, yes, they played the weakest schedule, hands down, of any of the top four teams, really of any of the top 15 teams other than UCF. Um, I think that game is going to be and can be very, very competitive. I think Ohio State is a touchdown favorite, uh, which is interesting. But let's assume Ohio State wins that game. And then you have mm-hmm. a 10-2 Ohio State team. And you have a number five right now Alabama team who is 11-1, whose only mm-hmm. loss is to a team today that's number two in the college football playoff rankings. And that loss was on the road Um the two teams in between Ohio State and Alabama will not be in the equation under this scenario that I'm giving you. And the reason is because those two teams, the University of Georgia and the Miami Hurricanes. So under the scenario that I just laid out, Georgia loses to Auburn, or Auburn loses, excuse me, it really doesn't matter because the loser of that game is out. And then let's assume that uh, Miami loses Clemson's in. Um, a lot of discussion, Kip that, oh, you know, Alabama didn't beat anybody this year. And they didn't. Um, That being said, when they did beat Ohio State, they were a top-ten team. DeAndre Francois didn't get injured until the second half in that game. I agree with Mm -hmm. you. There's no excuse for for Florida State to be where they are today. But, um, and it's, let's face it, other than Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama, it's been a, pretty weak year for the SEC on paper you know it might look like Ohio State's got a better body of work than Alabama but if the goal of the committee is to get the four best teams I don't know how you can make an argument that Ohio State's in the top eight how do you see that playing out Kip under that scenario I, I, I think this is going to if it comes down to that discussion and that's a very likely scenario uh, I think you're going to see an explosive. Uh, boy, I'd like to. I'd like to be a fly on the wall to watch that discussion because there's going to be the purists and the and the kind of politically correct people who are going to insist that the Big Ten champion, with such a competitive conference, uh, which I think the Big Ten proved to be not as strong as a lot of people seemed to think it was going to be. Um, I, I think the uh, the discussion there is going to come down to the perception that a conference champion uh, deserves to be in the tournament and that Ohio State beat the number four team and they should jump into that fray. That'll be the Ohio State argument. The argument on the other side will be, because uh, if you compare resumes, I mean, it, and it's no fault of Alabama's, they played the schedule they played, but you made the point a second ago. The SEC is uh, certainly had a lot of teams really come unglued this year. Alabama's body of work, they went 5-1 and one against the West, but let's face it, I mean, LSU and Mississippi State are good wins, but uh, not outstanding. Um, and then here's, here's the real indictment against for Alabama's schedule. And, again, this, they don't, the, the schedule is, is made. It's not their doing. They played the two crossover opponents they played from the East, Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Combined record yeah. in the SEC, one win, 15 defeats, 
and the only win was yeah. Vanderbilt beating Tennessee on Saturday. So, I mean, it, 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 it's the truth. It, the resume is as bad as it could possibly be for league play for Alabama. That being said, uh, any odds maker in the country right now, Alabama, Ohio State on a neutral field, Alabama's a 7- to 10-point favorite. So uh, you, you, just, you nailed it a minute ago. It comes down to the committee's mission is not to uh, make everybody happy around the country regionally. It is to select the four best teams. If that's the criteria, the eye test uh, has it, Alabama would be the pick over Ohio State, but it, it, it's the classic case of a beauty contest against substance. And if you go on substance, I mean, you've got to lean Ohio State. And I, 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 I'm fascinated to see how that's going to play out if it comes to pass. Ohio State, here's the final indictment against them, and I, I'll admit I'm a little biased against the Big Ten, uh, but here's the final indictment. Three weeks ago, that same week you mentioned a moment ago, I believe it was week 11, Ohio State goes to Iowa City and loses to an unranked Iowa Hawkeye team 55-27. to 27. Is one of the four yeah. best teams in the land uh, allowed to give up 55 points to an unranked team? Uh, late in the season, I, I, I just I, I don't think they can recover from that. I think Alabama ultimately would get the spot in that scenario. Kip, I, I hope that you're right. I, I find myself under that scenario with mixed emotions because um, as an Auburn fan, I really don't want to see Alabama in the college football playoff. <laughs> um, no. You know, I, you I'd like to, to see a year where uh, – yeah, I'd like to see a year where, uh, you know, they might have to go somewhere else. Maybe the Belk Bowl. Maybe the Peach Bowl. Go somewhere <laughs> else and play. So I'd like to see that. But uh, I have a Big Ten bias as well. And the reason I have a Big Ten bias is because I, I try to look at college football objectively. And, you know, for the last decade, it seems like, that conference has been uh, uh, not been, not been very competitive. Ohio State, I think year after year after year after year after year is overrated. And I think this year is the same thing. And as you said, mm-hmm. Iowa hung the speed limit on them, for goodness sakes. Yeah. You know, it was never a competitive game. Look, they came back and beat Penn State at home. That's great. Candidly, they got lucky in that game. They shouldn't have. Ohio State would be an underdog to Stanford. They'd be an underdog to TCU. They'd probably be an underdog to Southern Cal. Um, they might be a slight favorite against Miami, but maybe not. It might be a pick game. But I don't know, Kip. I, I think if this thing plays out the, the, with the scenario that we just discussed, um, I, I think it would be a close vote within the committee. But I, 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 I think the committee might give Ohio State the nod, and that would make for – very interesting discussion on next week's Red Zone Sports Report because uh, um, I don't know that there will be a team that is less deserving to go to the semifinals than Ohio State is. But I think it could happen, and the argument against Alabama is everything you just made. And I agree with all that. I don't dispute all that. But essentially the people that are making the argument for Ohio State are saying, you know, Alabama didn't play anybody. And and um, and and Ohio State did, even though I I mean Ohio State's strength of schedule is marginally better. I get it. Look, even if they beat a Wisconsin team, 
I don't know that that Wisconsin team's all that good. We really don't know. They haven't played anybody. So essentially the argument is Alabama's been playing a bunch of Iowa teams all year, and they beat them, and they shouldn't be rewarded for it. Well, guess what? Ohio State's been playing a bunch of Iowa teams as well, but they lost to one of those teams. And one of those teams hung 55 points on them. So um, I really don't know what the way the the committee is going to go, but – it will be probably as close of a vote as they've ever had if that scenario manifests itself. And um, if it does, it will be very interesting to see if after, if after that is released, you have committee members not speaking with one voice, but possibly doing <laughs> independent um, press avails so that, um, that they can, um, you know, they, they can make certain if, if they've felt, uh, maybe differently than how the majority ended up, that they get to uh, have their voices heard. So it, it will be very, very, very interesting. Kip, this weekend is going to be a fascinating weekend at college football. Um, maybe, as I said at the beginning of the show, better than anyone we've ever had. We haven't even talked about the game on Friday night in the Pac-10. The number 10-ranked uh, USC Trojans take on the 12th-ranked Stanford Cardinal. And that's not even in the discussion. Another game that nobody's talking about is a 20th-ranked one-loss Memphis team coached by Mike Norvell, who is going to um, – well – let me put it this way. The Memphis-UCF game is going to be a game between two coaches that are likely not going to be coaching either one of those two teams within a matter of 48 hours after the conclusion of that game. But, you know, Memphis is 10-1, and ranked number 20. And UCF, coached by Scott Frost with an opening in Nebraska, everybody thinks he's going there. He likely is, 11-0. and I think Mike Norvell is, um, is going to be a uh, – uh, is going to be a strong candidate for uh, other jobs within the SEC, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about the SEC championship game. Um, Georgia and Auburn. Um, A few weeks ago, three weeks ago in Auburn, Auburn dominated the Georgia Bulldogs 40-17. They were up 40-10, a questionable spot at the end of the game. Uh, that Gus Malzahn challenged with two minutes left, allowed Georgia to yeah, score a garbage funny. touchdown. That's right, for the game to be 42-17. The game wasn't even that close, but it was as complete of a game as Auburn has played in years, and it was as bad of a game as Georgia played all season. Um, and so I, I think it is highly unlikely that Auburn will play that well, and I think it is equally as unlikely that Georgia will play that Poorly. That being said, it was a one-sided game uh, at Auburn. This game will be – I would say it's a neutral site. It's only a neutral site because it's not played at Sanford Stadium or Jordan-Hare Stadium. I think it's kind of a de facto home game for the Georgia Bulldogs. They've known for five weeks they're going to play in this game, and they all started um, buying you know, buying tickets on StubHub for this game five weeks ago. Um, there was no Auburn fan in the country that – thought three weeks ago that we had a chance to play in this game. And so Auburn fans didn't start making plans to uh, uh, to maybe go to uh, Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Dome Stadium for Saturday's game until Saturday. So I think I think it's a fair assessment to say seventy to seventy five percent of the of the fans in in the dome will, will probably be Georgia fans. They haven't been there in quite some time, two thousand twelve, I think. So um, much different environment. And then here's the big 
here's the big variable that we don't know, but I'm afraid I know. Um, Carry on Johnson's a tough kid, a uh, really tough kid, and I think he has put himself in the discussion to um, possibly be one of the best, if not the best, running back in the country. And he wasn't there at the beginning of the year. He probably wasn't even there in the middle of the year. But he's there now. The problem is um, Gus Malzahn, like he did Cameron Petway and like he does uh, with a lot of his running backs, when he when he gets something going that he likes, uh, he, he rides them like a horse, Kip, and and uh, but between uh, you know between swing passes and wheel routes and running the ball up the middle, you know it's not unusual for Carryon Johnson to have 35 touches in a game. That's a lot of touches to have um, in this conference. It's a lot of touches to have in any football game in any conference, and it wears you down. And I think we saw that in the Alabama game. And and um, I know that that all signs point to Carryon playing this weekend. Candidly, Kip, I don't know that that's a great idea. Um, you know, I want to see him play because I don't know that we can beat Georgia without him. But he really he left that game in the late in the fourth quarter this past weekend and and was in a tremendous amount of pain. He came back on to the field to celebrate with his teammates, um, and 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 he said he's you know he's going to try to give it a go this weekend, and I think he will. If Carrion can give it a go, I think if he's 70, 75% were lucky, it risks the kid getting hurt again. And, you know, at 70, 75%, he's just as good of a running back as a lot of others. Uh, Kip, I know I sound like a broken record, and every week I make arguments as to why I'm a little concerned. I feel like Pete Tasker <laughs> talking about the Buffalo Bills. But every weekend, but I, I, I really think this weekend I have reason to be concerned because of the health of Carrion Johnson. Handicap this game this weekend as you see it, uh, the SEC championship game, round two between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Auburn Tigers. Well, the script is flipped a little bit from a couple of weeks ago at Jordan-Hare where Auburn was the team that absolutely positively had to win that game. Georgia went down there already with the East Division in their pocket, not to say that their national championship hopes were uh, not top of their mind, but I thought Georgia approached the game uh, a little bit tentatively, uh, and I think maybe they got a false sense of security when their first drive went right down the field and they scored almost immediately to go up seven to nothing. Uh, It it really kind of kept them in their comfort zone, and I don't think they – got out of that uh, almost all the way through the first half and their offense kind of bogged down. And all of a sudden uh, a series of events uh, led to Auburn taking control from a Georgia standpoint. There were three critical plays in that game. Uh, The infamous leaping call uh, after Georgia had stopped Auburn, Auburn led nine to seven stalled about midfield uh, on an Auburn punt. The Georgia player was called for leaping which is um, a, a ridiculous rule, if you ask me. But And I, I only bring that up because, of course, it, it kind of changed. Uh, that That is a severe penalty because that changes possession. That's like roughing the kicker. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, uh, and a change of possession foul is huge in a game like that because instead of Georgia getting a stop and potentially being able to drive down and kick a field goal to take the lead at halftime or perhaps a touchdown, Stidham throws a beautiful 50-yard bomb for a touchdown, and all of a sudden now it's 16-7. to 7. 
Uh, that was a huge play in the game. And I, I, it, the only reason the leaping call really annoyed me is because later that night, and I may have said on the show before, I flipped over to the Alabama-Mississippi State game right when Mississippi State's first possession bogged down. The first play I saw, they had to punt. Alabama called for, guess what? Leaping. So there's yeah. been two leaping calls in the last 20 years of college football. Do not tell me that didn't come from the SEC office. I think I even used that as my loser of the week a few weeks ago. So uh, that, that's irritating, but that was a big call. Georgia also squandered an opportunity at the end of the half against Auburn. It was 16-7. Uh, Auburn held them uh, down in their territory deep. They punted out of their end zone. Uh, Nico Hardeman ran the ball all the way to the Auburn 23 with 24 seconds left. Kirby Smart did not take any shots in the end zone. They ran Sony Michelle up the middle. He was stuffed, got no game. They called their timeout, and Blankenship probably missed a 40-yard field goal. It should have been 16 to 10. It could have been 16 to 14 with 24 seconds. You've got two shots in the end zone. I think it was just kind of indicative of how Georgia was playing close to the vest still, thinking that they could just hang around and maybe try to win it at the end. And then the killer play, the, game, the play that really opened the floodgates for Auburn was after Georgia stopped Auburn's first possession of the second half, the Hardeman fumble on his 16-yard line of the ensuing punt. Auburn recovers, punches it in. Now it's 23-7. to Everything changed, and the route was on. So those three plays, I think, really uh, had a lot to do with the margin of victory. I don't think there's any doubt Auburn was going to win the game that day. They were much the better team. They dominated the lines of scrimmage. Carrion Johnson was on fire. Uh, Auburn was going to win. I don't know if they would have won by the spread they did uh, without you know that, that, that sequence of events. That being said, uh, Auburn comes in now with the team with the, most, with, with the most to lose, although both of them are in the same position in, in basically a play-in game. But uh, Auburn's a little more the hunted than the hunter this time. Uh, Georgia's got powerful incentive coming off that, uh, that, that big loss. I think the intangibles are kind of in Georgia's favor this time. But the bottom line is Georgia's going to have to find a way to change the uh, battle in the trenches because uh, the eye test on that Saturday at, at Jordan-Hare, uh, in, up front where it counts on the offensive and defensive fronts, Auburn dominated the game. And if Georgia doesn't have an answer to that, then uh, all of the intangibles in the world aren't going to matter. Auburn's going to come out with a victory on Saturday. So what do you think, Kip? What's your prediction Saturday, SEC championship game? Oh gosh, I've gone back and forth with this. I, I, I think it's going. I think the game's going to go down to the wire because I, I think, uh, you know, the, the the senior factor, another intangible for Georgia. Joe and Michelle came back just to play in this game. I think you're going to get a a big dose of Nick Chubb this time. Uh, I think that's why they ran Sony Michelle predominantly against Georgia Tech and didn't really use Chubb that much. I think uh, they're going to try to ride him to uh, to the hilt, to, as Auburn does with Carrion. And the Carrion Johnson factor is a huge a, a huge situation. So I got to fudge on my prediction here. If Carrion is seventy five or eighty percent, as you suggest, I think Auburn wins a close game. If Carrion Johnson can't go, uh, I, I I just think uh, that changes the whole complexion of the game. Great. If Carrion gets hurt or can't go, I like Georgia to beat Auburn on Saturday. I do, too, and I agree with your assessment. We're going to welcome the Buffalo bad boy in here in just a second. I welcome – excuse me, 
I agree with your assessment on the leaping call. My prediction this week is also going to be a close game, but watch for Georgia to get a lot of calls this weekend. That's not mm-hmm. normally something. When they, they, they had some calls go against them at Auburn, that's unusual for a Georgia Bulldog team. They're usually the recipients of a lot of calls. Don't be surprised if when we recap this game six days from now, next Tuesday, that we're talking about a major, major call that went Georgia's way late in the game. I hope I'm wrong, but that's my prediction. We're going to welcome in the Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasca, because we got a lot to talk about. Before we do, I have breaking news that has come over the wire. Um, and since it's come over the wire, I feel like I am at liberty to discuss it. Um, I was um, uh, uh, I promised I wouldn't discuss it. Um, I talked to Steve Butler earlier today and promised I wouldn't discuss it, but I feel it's appropriate <laughs> given the fact that it has now hit the wire, and that is the University of Tennessee plane has landed at Peachtree to Cab Airport just outside of Atlanta at 810, and one of the, the reason that the Savage Burn cannot join us tonight is because he is currently interviewing for the University of Tennessee head coaching job. John Curry and the group from Knoxville is is interviewing Steve Butler for that position. And we hope, since Steve is a a a big part of the Red Zone Sports Report, we, we hope that if there's any news to break on that meeting, if that meeting concludes before this podcast concludes that we might be able to share some information with our listeners about how that meeting went. But the the big news of the podcast tonight, John Curry, (laughs) University of Tennessee, they have flown to Atlanta, and they are currently interviewing the Savage Burn for that position. With that news, we want to welcome the Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasca. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Good evening, fellas. How are we doing tonight? We're doing great, Pete. We, we've covered a lot already, but we want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, what a weekend it's going to be. This is the probably the greatest weekend that we've ever had from a conference championship perspective in, in college football. And Before we get to crazy NFL news, um, specifically want to talk Buffalo Bills, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and then we do have to save some time to talk about Eli Manning and the New York Giants. But, um, Pete, give me your thoughts about the college football playoff rankings that came out and what storylines and what surprises you might see coming this weekend as these conference championship games play out. Well, first of all, Chip, all the best to the Savage Burn in the interview for the Tennessee head job. I mean, we're, we're pulling for him. <laughs> and let's be honest, he, he right. really won't make it the job. <laughs> we may need well, he might be, might because what I didn't say is Kip, Kip turned the job down an hour ago. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to share that news, but, you know, this, they're not, it's, it's not their first choice, but he might have an offer on the table. <laughs> Well, they, they don't seem to like us Italians too much down there, so I don't think I have a shot at the job. But uh, anyhow, you know, mo- moving on, I mean, the college football playoff, you know, situation, the way things shook out last week was was really amazing. I, I think the game of the week, at least as far as I was concerned, outside of, of course, the Iron Bowl, I, I shouldn't even, even even think to go somewhere else beyond the Iron Bowl with, with this, you know, a little bit of an assessment. But, I um, mean, you know, the Hurricanes coming northeast here to – 
to play the Pitt Panthers. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it, too many of us gave that much of a shot. I mean, you're always looking at a potential trap type of a ball game there. In, in any in any scenario, really, I mean, you know, beyond the implications for you know the an opportunity to play for a national title, but you know, you really see Pitt just dominate that football game, honestly, from start to finish yeah. for the most part. And then Mark Rick, you yeah. know, ending up you know pulling uh, Malik Rozier from the game, and you know, just kind of juggling that situation around. He, he might have taken a few cues from Coach McDermott here in Buffalo on that one. I don't know. <laughs> that was really a shocker. No, no one, I don't think anyone really saw that coming unless you were a homer. And, um, you know, that really threw things in flux here. I mean, there's no doubt about it. These games coming up this weekend are going to be very, very interesting. I think you guys have probably covered most of it. But, you know, the winner of Georgia-Auburn is in. I mean, that, that that's pretty much a given. Uh, Wisconsin wins their football game they're in. Even if Ohio State wins that game, I don't think that they, they leapfrog Alabama. Or, in my opinion, they leapfrog Miami. Um, presuming Miami goes on ahead and beats Clemson in the ACC championship. And then, of course, Oklahoma and TCU, right? I, I mean, I just can't see TCU taking that football game. You know, I, I'm just going to have to go with Oklahoma in that. I mean, they're they're just red hot right now. And Baker Mayfield's playing at, at the top of his game. and. You know, I think you have to pencil them in. And really, is there anyone else to even talk about at this point? Um, I don't think so. No, no, no that's shot. not no realistic shot at all. And that covers it. Uh, you know, uh, things don't normally. What we've learned, and this is something we learn every year, so we sh- we should know it by now. But you know, there there are always surprises, and I don't know what the surprises this weekend are going to be. But I do know there will be some surprises. You know, these are competitive games. Um, you know, um, the the lines are all competitive, but there will be some surprises this weekend. So I can assure you, when we get on the podcast next week, we are going to have a lot to talk about. Let's pivot. We did not have an opportunity to talk about, but wanted to wait for you to join us, and we wanted to go ahead and kind of talk about the the, um, the playoff rankings that we had. But very, very bizarre, probably the most bizarre thing I've ever seen um, in college football with respect to the Greg Schiano situation and the John Curry situation at the University of Tennessee. We've already broke news tonight that they're interviewing the Savage Burn for that job. But on Sunday of this week, um, you know, news leaked out uh, early afternoon that they had reached an agreement with former Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano, current defensive coordinator um, at Ohio State. I was driving back from the Iron Bowl, and by the time I got back home, um, I mean, it was absolute pandemonium and chaos on social media. The outrage from Tennessee fans, they were convinced that Greg Schiano had molested young boys. And and by, I think it was 7.45 Eastern time or 8 o'clock Eastern time that night, uh, it was a done deal. And, um, and Greg Schiano was out of a job. They had a plane waiting in Columbus to bring him in and introduce him as the quarterback. Clay Travis, um, outkicked the coverage radio host, uh, based in Tennessee. Um, uh, I think kind of got credit for, uh, I, I say he got credit, he got credit on Sunday or Monday for the next six or seven years he might get the blame, but uh, kind of started this. But it was a perfect example about how 
social media and a new age of social media, and I've seen this in politics for five, six, seven, eight years now, but, you know, this is the first time I can remember Twitter and social media costing somebody a job that quickly, and there was judgment cast on Greg Schiano that now that the dust is settled, looks pretty clear that he got a raw deal with respect to what he was accused of doing. Mike McQuarrie, the former assistant coach at Penn State, had mentioned it not in a criminal deposition and not in a criminal trial, but had mentioned in an insurance trial in civil court um, after he had already testified in a criminal case twice, after he had been deposed twice in a criminal case, he mentions that Tom Bradley, a former assistant coach, had mentioned to him that Shiano saw Jerry Sandusky with boys in the shower. Um, both Bradley and Shiano uh, have denied that vehemently, and they did so when the transcript was leaked back in 2016. But Pete, what are we supposed to make of this? I mean, what what were your thoughts as you kind of see this, as you kind of saw this play out on Sunday, and what are your thoughts today? Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, <laughs> you know how you saw this situation develop and, and what it means really overall for, you know, college athletics. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Chip, I, I really wasn't privy to it until Monday, and uh, it's obviously shocking um, that, you know, we the people are, are rising up in ways, you know, really across the globe, you know, whether it's politically, obviously now in the sports arena, um, you know, uh, getting people like Donald Trump elected president of the United States of America. You go back a couple of years in, in the Middle East, the Arab Spring. I mean, you're now Greg Schiano here. I mean, it, it really is kind of stunning um, how much power seems to be given back to the people and when they rise up, you know, the, the powers that be essentially have no choice but to either recognize and acknowledge the people and the will of the people in, in whatever sphere we're talking about. But, of course, if you're living in a, you know, uh, a totalitarian, you know, part of the, the world, I guess they can, they can go on ahead and try to squash it. But thankfully we don't live in that, you know, type of environment here in the United States of America. Um, you know, so in some sense, I mean, raw deal, sure, um, no doubt about it. And whether or not, you know, he was he was privy, you know, Greg Schiano, that is, to what was going on um, at Penn State during the Sandusky scandal era, um, we all know just deplorable, and you don't get any worse than what was, you know, going on there. And and whether or not yeah. he had any knowledge of that, that, that's almost beside the point. People are so quick to judge, to demonize nowadays. Nowadays we're seeing it happen, playing out over and over again now in Hollywood even. And, you know, I guess there was another TV personality that was, you know, pinned to the wall today as well. I mean, it's just, it's really stunning what's going on across the board. You know, but ultimately, ultimately, you know, I, I, I just don't think that the people of Tennessee wanted a basically another, in a sense, a has-been to be the coach of their football team. Um, this is a, a, a proud program, you know, one, one of the, the great programs of the SEC and all of college football that's fallen on, you know, really some consistently hard times over the last 10-plus years now. They want a coach who's going to come in here and inspire them, inspire the team, and get this program, you know, back on the right track and, and change the culture. 
And I just don't think they were in favor of a guy like Greg Schiano, who's kind of cranky and uh, really doesn't have, you know, a great resume um, in terms of, you know, leading programs, you know, out of, out of nothing. I mean, I guess you can give him some credit for Rutgers, correct? I mean, you got to give him a little credit. But uh, beyond that, um, you know, it just didn't seem like a good fit. And they rose up, and boom, he's out. So the real question is, who's next? Is it Lane Kiffin or is it the Savage Baron? We shall see. <laughs> it is interesting. Uh, it is interesting, Pete, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you said, Kip. I, I want to bring you in here to the discussion because I, I think Pete um, Pete made two uh, made two points that I kind of want to get your your thoughts on, and that is number one, power to the people, and and I mm-hmm. I think that's indisputable with what happened here. Now we can argue whether or not that's a good thing because the more people have power, the the more they really should be a little more responsible with the facts before they exert the power, and they clearly didn't here. But Pete also said something that I think is is true as well, and that is I think this was much more about Tennessee fans not thinking that Shiana was a good fit as opposed to thinking that he had anything to do with what happened at Penn State. And by the way, I dispute that second I mean, I I think I don't think Tennessee's a good program right now. I don't think it's a good. I think it's the sixth best job in the SEC behind Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Florida. I don't think it's a good job anymore. Um, and and it's up to the the next person to make it a good job and make it something that's more appealing. I mean, there's a reason that Dan Mullen went to Florida and didn't go to Tennessee. Um, there's a reason Mike Gundy's not going to Tennessee. There's a reason Jeff Brom's not going to Tennessee. I mean, now it looks like they're interviewing uh, Dave Dorian, the NC State coach, and in five years at NC State, his record in the ACC is 15-25. and 25. Granted, he's had a really good year this year. He's had the best year he's had in five years. But, you know, uh, really, so there are a couple things that I just packaged up in there, Kip. Number one, the power of the people is true, but the people had their facts wrong in this one. But then number two, who is Tennessee? I mean, Greg Shiano won at Rutgers, for goodness sake. No one's ever won at Rutgers unless it's a little cross coach and, and the wrestling coach. Um, who, did, who did Tennessee really think they were going to get, and who do you think they will get? You know, uh, it, it, it was, it, I, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like what happened Sunday in just the space of about a six-hour period. Um, you know, I saw the initial tweet that Greg Schiano was going to be uh, brought to Knoxville and introduced as the new coach, and then all of a sudden you started to see the the protests. And I I think you guys have have really nailed it, and Chip, and your summary was exactly right. I think the uproar wasn't so much based on the Penn State situation. I think that ninety percent of the volunteer nation said, "Greg Schiano, who in the hell is that?" They just went through the Butch Jones debacle, Derek Dooley before that. Uh, you know, remember right when right when Butch Jones was let go, the name that always dangles with Tennessee and is never realistic. They always had this this fixation on John Gruden, um, and John Gruden's got yeah. the best gig on, on in America right now. He's He's got, oh, yeah. he's got that. He certainly has the best job in football. I mean, why in the world oh, anybody I, would want to leave that job? They would need to get checked out by a, a mental health expert. 
Absolutely, and go to Knoxville of all places. I mean, um, you know, so but all these, all the big, all the big, all the big names are dangled in front of these Tennessee fans. And then what does Curry do? And this was Clay Travis's big complaint and his vile, uh, obscenity laden column that kind of kicked it all off. Uh, Clay Travis said. And if you want Greg Schiano, what's the hurry? What you know? What's it's not like anybody else is going to hire him. Um, you know, take your time. And, and if you're stuck with with a Greg Schiano, that's fine. But he couldn't believe that Curry was in a big uh, Curry was in a hurry. That's an interesting uh, rhyme. But uh, to, yeah. to to bring Greg Schiano in, um, Schiano also coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that was not a successful scenario. Uh, arguably. He did have great success as a head coach at Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers would be in the Big Ten now. I, first of all, I can't believe they're in the Big Ten anyway. But they would not be in the Big Ten had it not been for the uh, good period of success that Greg Schiano put them on the map. So I think he's a, I think he's a respectable football coach. Uh, but I, I think it became more of a we don't want Greg Schiano and then the perfect excuse uh, presented itself in light of what's happening in the country. Pete mentioned Matt Lauer biting the dust today. Garrison Keeler, of all people, released from Minnesota yeah. Public Radio. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it just, it just every day somebody or three or four guys fall by the wayside. And that was, I mean, it, for, for him to even be mentioned in that kind of sordid situation – gave Tennessee fans the excuse they needed to really uprise. And, you know, state legislatures, legislators got involved. I mean, this was a firestorm. And Tennessee had no choice but to, but to pull back. And, uh, I, I, again, I, 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 all the years I've watched sports and coaching changes, I've never seen anything like that. And I think you guys are right. I think it's social media. Without that, Greg Schiano would have uh, you know, just kind of come in and, Here's our new coach, and everybody was said, "Oh, this sucks. That's not who we want." But there wouldn't have been any chance for this reaction. So it's a it's a, it's a whole new world. I don't know if it's a better world, but it's a new one. It is. It is definitely a whole new world. Let's talk about the Mississippi State hire real quick. And Pete, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you because uh, um, Pete is our resident um, contributor from. Uh, I almost said the Pacific Northwest. Excuse me, from the Northeast. <laughs> And and we have a coach from the Northeast that's coming to the state of Mississippi, Starkville specifically, to coach the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Dan Mullen, as expected, I mean, it had been eight or nine years since he was the coach at Mississippi State, and he'd turned down a lot of other opportunities. And uh, the Florida opportunity came up. So on round two, uh, I think he, he wanted it when it came open a few years ago. Um, had some problems with the athletic director, didn't get it. Dan Mullen is introduced uh, this week as the head coach of the University of Florida. Excuse me, yes, at the University of Florida. So creates an opening at Mississippi State. Um, uh, Joe Moorhead was not on my list of people that I really thought that Mississippi State was going to hire. And candidly, I follow college athletics and I follow football pretty closely. I had never heard of the guy. Now, I've done a lot of research on him. He looks like he's very accomplished. He looks like he's a 
fantastic offensive coordinator, uh, a young guy, 44 years old. I, I hate to say 44 is young. I'm 44 and I don't feel young. But in, 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 in the respects of, you know, the annals of college football head coaches, pretty young. But, you know, this guy has been a coach at Penn State, at Pitt, at Akron, at Fordham, at Georgetown, in Connecticut. I mean, I don't know that he's been south of the Mason-Dixon line. Oh. And he's coming down yeah. to the Southeastern Conference, but not just the Southeastern Conference, Starkville, Mississippi. Pete, do you know this guy? Do you know anything about him? Your thoughts on the Mississippi State hire? No, I, I know absolutely nothing about him other than the fact that, um, you know, he's got Saquon Barkley in his backfield for the last two years, one of the top running backs yeah, in the country. Yeah. And, and, and that could be the reason why he got hired and the reason why that offense has been so productive over the last couple of years. I mean, granted, you, you got to give a little credit where it's due to Penn State, the, the turnaround. Never been a fan of that program. You know, Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky and Greg Schiano aside, I've never been a Penn State fan. Never been a fan yeah. you know, much, much at all of any kind of Northeast football. Um, just to, to, to appease the ears of our listeners, I am uh, an SEC and a Pac-12 guy, if you can believe it. I know it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But, no, I know nothing about this guy. All I can say about it is that it's very shocking that they didn't follow the cues of the Tennessee Vols fans and completely yeah. um, you know, protest this hire because – Wait, you just reeled off all the programs he's been involved in, and if I'm a Mississippi State football fan, a booster, someone who's followed this program for years, and Dan Mullen really kind of you know brought it up to to some relative prominence again over the last couple of years, I'm sick about this hire. I'm very unhappy, and and I don't really know. I'd be beside myself. Let's just put it that way. I don't like it. I don't like it for the people of uh, you know the fans of Mississippi State. And um, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, on the flip side, Dan Mullen I think is a fantastic hire for the Florida Gators. I think them jumping yeah. on him and bringing him in, you know, it was a was a coup, and, and it was an excellent hire and, and very valid why they they made the move as quickly as they did. But the same kind of premise I think applies to this as it does to Shiano. Why the rush to hire yeah. this guy? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Well. So, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Pete, you you bring up something good, and both of you guys have have posed the same question in the last five minutes, and that is why is the rush? And my speculation yeah. on that is this is the first time. Well, it, it's not the first time. It's the end of the regular season, and we're going to deal with the same with the NFL. Once we get done with um, you know week seventeen in the NFL. You know, they're going to be five, four, five, six head coaching vacancies. But, you know, there's an early signing period this year that we've never had before. Usually programs have had to wait until the end of January on signing day to sign these kids. There's a 72-hour window that pops up on the 20th of December before we get to Christmas, Christmas Eve, where kids can early sign. And I wonder, never having gone and never having any case studies or, or any type of precedent to look at, I wonder if that's why there's such a rush for a lot of these athletic directors to make certain that they aren't left out in the cold when the early signing period comes in. Kip, what are your thoughts about that, and what are your thoughts on, on Joe Moorhead being hired as the head coach at Mississippi State? Yeah, I, I, I said the same thing. Uh, Joe, Joe Moorhead? Uh, I, I I just I had to like do a double take. I I didn't realize yeah. uh, where, 
where he, he had come from. Um, you know, Penn State has been under James Franklin, which at least there's a, a little bit of a Southeastern Conference linkage there. Um, if if uh, if he was on that staff, then I guess that's a good indicator that uh, uh, a guy who is one of the real uh, stars in the coaching ranks now, because uh, look what Franklin did at Vanderbilt. Derek Mason has not been able to follow that up. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that lended a little bit of credibility to it. I, I think your theory that you just posed is, is dead on, that uh, there's almost a frantic uh, – you know, feeling about we got to get somebody on board because we've, I mean, we're going to we're going we're going to miss out on all these recruits. I still think it's an awfully big hill to climb for these new coaches coming in, particularly a guy like Joe Moorhead, who, I mean, he better he better be ready for 24-hour round-the-clock sessions. I mean, I'm sure uh, being on the Penn State staff, he's aware of a lot of big-time recruits, but I wouldn't think that uh, he's much of an expert on the southeastern situation. So. Uh, he's got some major work to do. I don't know how many people Dan Mullen took with him from that staff. Um, so if there's some holdovers, that would certainly be useful. But uh, uh, that's that's all things we're going to see. But I think I think your theory's right. They just feel like they need to get somebody on board. I did hear an interesting piece of gossip today. I don't know if it's true, but supposedly Dan Mullen was in the state of Georgia today. Uh, inquiring as to whether a, a certain young man by the name of Justin Fields may be mm. interested in uh, in switching his allegiance from the Georgia Bulldogs down the south to uh, Gainesville. Uh, that's that's the I, I heard from a high-ranking Georgia source today that uh, that's Dan Mullen's first objective is to talk Justin Fields Ooh. out of that verbal commitment to Georgia, and that would that would really intensify the Georgia Florida. Rivalry before they ever got well. He's, de- again, he's so. decommitted once. He decommitted from Penn State. Yes, he did, and and uh, I'm sure Dan Mullen's coming and telling him, uh, uh, <laughs> "Have you seen what I've done with my last couple quarterbacks?" Um, you know how you, you knew Boy. you knew there, there there's going to be inquiries because Jake Fromm looks like he is uh, Jake from State Fromm looks like he's embedded in the Georgia job for the next three years. Yeah, I'm sure Justin Fields, a confident young man, it feels like he can come in and win the job. But uh, you know that the that Dan Mullen and some others are are going to try oh, to, yeah. to to change that i that that attitude. So that was the that was the interesting piece of uh, trivia, I, a little bit of gossip I heard today. Uh, it didn't top your story of Tennessee interviewing the Savage <laughs> Burn, but. Uh, but, but, but there's a lot of activity at Peachtree the Cab today, from what I understand. <laughs> Boy, that's interesting. You know, uh, Kip, uh, uh, Justin Fields and his family only live five miles from my house. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. had I had a uh, heads up on that, I could have gone to stake it out maybe a little bit, see if I can get any, yeah, any yeah. intel from there. Yeah, very is. good, very good <laughs> intel. Um, Pete Tasca, some, we, we, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but really it seems like there are more – um, it seems like this year, more than last specifically, there are a lot of very intriguing openings in college football. Um, Arizona State, word came out today, came out yesterday that Herm Edwards was interviewing for the Arizona State job. And just a few hours ago, it came out that it looks like they have made an offer to Herm Edwards, and he is going to accept so you play wow. to win the game. The game. He's coming That's back right. into coach college football. I'm a huge fan of Herm Edwards. 
had no idea he had any interest in coming back into coaching. But, uh, man, pretty incredible. Give us your thoughts on uh, on if you think Herm Edwards is going to have some success. Ray Anderson, former NFL executive, um, uh, was hired a couple years ago to be the athletic director at Arizona State and uh, good friends with Herm Edwards and convinced him at- to come out of the booth at ESPN after uh, after nine years away from coaching and going to wow. coaching to coach the Sun Devils. Thoughts on Herm Edwards coming back on the sidelines, but not in the NFL and college football. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I find it kind of strange. Um, There's just a lot of really odd things going on in the world of college football here in these last you know, 48 to 72 hours. I mean, I mean, yeah. I guess I guess you look at the profile for Edwards and, and you know his his persona. Uh, we, we've seen it quite a bit now uh, yeah, uh, in the booth, if you will. And, and certainly he was you know Kansas City's coach, New York Jets coach for a while. Um, he, he always did bring a little bit more, maybe of that that college rah rah kind of um, you know approach to to the, his coaching style, his philosophy, maybe. That, that may be better suited, uh, uh, possibly for the college game, but uh, you know Arizona State. I just I don't know where's the connection. Um, you know you, you mentioned yeah. one there. I I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I'm going to post to. Yeah. I'm really at a loss for words. I I don't really see the fit. Um, you know, Herm's Herm's got to be getting up there in age. As I said, he's he's been out of the he's been out of the game off the sidelines for almost a decade and. I don't even know when he the last time he coached college kids was. Um, I, I just I don't see it. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna make this late night Pac-12 on you know games that I like to stay up late for a little bit more interesting next year. But beyond that, I just I don't really get it. And I don't see it, and I really I really don't envision long term success coming out of this hire. I really don't. Interesting, Pete. I, uh, I'm a big Herm Edwards fan, and I really don't know why. But I've always liked the guy. Um, uh, I, I think he's got very interesting insight. I don't always agree with his insight, but I enjoy listening to his insight on ESPN. And he's a part of the morning show they have on ESPN. So this morning, um, uh, Sage Steele, who is the, one of the co-hosts on there as well, who ironically just moved from Scottsdale, Arizona, to Bristol, Connecticut, to do the morning show, even though she had been a contributor for ESPN a while, said, well, you know, Herm Edwards, you, you, you're going to get an interview for this job. Tell us a little bit about it. And it was interesting. I encouraged people to watch it. Herm said, you know, he said, um, I was asked to interview by my good friend Ray Anderson, who's the athletic director. I told him I would. And he said, you know, I, I – he said, I, I get to coach, he, and he does, and I remember this. He coaches one of the All-Star games, um, and I say All-Star. It's, uh, you know, it, I think it used to be the Blue-Gray game. I mean, there's a, a lot of opportunities after the bowl season has ended for a lot of these kids to, you know, show their skills to NFL scouts. And uh, and, and Herb, is, uh, Herb Edwards has, has coached that for the last six years, and he says, you know, it's the one week of the year I look forward to most. He said, because um, I get to be around these kids and I get to coach them for a week. And I, I've I realized every week how much I miss that. So I, I, I don't disagree with you that it, it looks like a really bad fit. It just doesn't look like it. It's a big risk for Ray Anderson. And, and, and it's, a, it, it's certainly, I mean, you know, there's probably some Arizona State fans that are pretty happy with the hire and some that are, you know, that are going, you know, what in the world does this guy have? But I can tell you one thing the, the guy has is passion. And he's going to get – he's always had passion. Right. We saw that with his 
with his legendary press conference. So I wish Herm Edwards the best. And uh, but you know, if I'm putting money down in Vegas, um, I, I, I'm not expecting a huge turnaround from the Arizona State program. Uh, guys, time's flying by. We only got 20 minutes left, and we got to go through winners and losers. We haven't even talked about NFL. So let's kind of pivot to the NFL right now and um, talk about the situation in New York. Ben McAdoo announces earlier this week, and Pete, I want to uh, open it up to you and get your thoughts on it, and Kip will we'll kick it over to you and get your thoughts on it. But Eli Manning will not start for the New York Giants this weekend, and it will break a streak of 210 consecutive NFL starts. Now, uh, i I got to tell you, when I first heard the news, my first thought was that's about three years overdue. Um, I think Eli Manning has been overrated for a long time. I think his skills have diminished. I think his arm strength has diminished. He's been in the he's been uh, somewhere in the mid to high twenties in total QBR for the last two or three years. And so my first thought was it's long overdue. Um, and then I found out that Geno Smith was going to be starting instead of him. And I said, why not Davis Webb? Didn't they draft Davis Webb in the second or third round this past draft? Why in the world would you bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith? And and uh, it, it's just uh, a crazy situation in New York. Evidently, Eli was offered the opportunity to start to keep the streak intact. I think he made the right decision and told his head coach, look, coach, if you're going to move on from me, I'm really not interested in the streak. Pete, what what are your thoughts about what's going on with the New York football giants? Well, just a, a, another interesting storyline here in the world of sports. I mean, I guess we can start by, by highlighting, you know, Eli Manning and, and just really the, the gem of a person and a teammate, you know, he appears to be from all indications. Mm-hmm. There was quite a bit of coverage of, of Eli and, and a lot of voices speaking um, on his defense on Sports Talk Radio you, between yesterday and today that, you know, I, I was I was privy to myself, as I'm sure you were as well. And, uh, you know, it, it speaks to his character and, and, and really, you know, yeah. what, what he's all about, Eli. And, and while many really were really, really, you know, PO'd about this decision, you know, former teammates, Sean O'Hara, Michael Strahan, you know, on down the line, Kiki Barber. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really kind of odd the – uh, the reaction that, that's come from his former teammates, um, how irate they are by this decision. I mean, let, let's look at, again at the reality of the situation. The yeah. Giants are two and nine. Their 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 season's yeah. been an absolute disaster. They have no offensive line. They have no running game. They've lost virtually all of their quality wide receivers that they had started the season. You know, with uh, in their stable, and and this team is going nowhere this year. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah. it is a business. Um, and it is about, you know, looking forward, especially when your team bottoms out the way that it has. You know, Davis Webb, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, the, the again, the Sean McDermott effect. Um, you know, maybe even, you know, what happened in Denver this past, past weekend with Paxton Lynch. Maybe they just didn't want to expose this kid who they possibly see a future in to, to being, uh, you know, rattled this early in his career. Why not give Geno the start? He's a bridge quarterback, and maybe he can he can be something of of trade value for them as well, especially if they do believe in Davis Webb. And Lord knows they're going to have a, at least a top ten pick, probably closer to a top five or a top three pick this year. 
which will give them the pick of the litter of, of some of these quarterbacks that are going to be coming out this year. So interesting stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not about the streak for Eli Manning. You know, at least from the business perspective, from the future of the franchise's perspective, it is what it is. I mean, Eli Manning, as you said, is his skill set is, is eroded somewhat. I don't necessarily agree that it's eroded as, as drastically as you're saying, Chip. I don't know if there's a vendetta there or something. Yeah. Um, going back to the old Miss days, but um, – <laughs> I've had him as my um, fantasy quarterback too long over the last 10 years, and I'm bitter. <laughs> I knew there was some sort of subplot there with Eli Manning. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. But but you brought up something that I think is, is relevant for us to talk to, and that is, and we're going to go back to the Buffalo Bills and Sean McDermott. I wonder, I wonder, had – Sean McDermott not made the decision to go with Nathan Peterman, and it bombed and backfired so poorly. I wonder, had that not happened, if Davis Webb would be starting this week for the New York Giants. I almost think that he probably would not, but as you said, I think Geno Smith, I think Ben McAdoo and his staff said, look, we're out of it. Um, I think we got to find a way to move on from Eli Love to give Davis Webb a chance, but man, look what happened to Nathan Peterman a couple weeks ago. Why don't we go with Gino yeah. this week, and we'll roll in Davis the following week? Is that a plausible possibility, Pete? I, I absolutely think so. Uh, there, there's no yeah. doubt. I mean, the, the NFL game is so so difficult. I, I mean, as it, fans, we we just we we take it for granted, especially if we've been watching and following the game as closely as we all have for as long as we have. But, you know, if you're, if you're objective about it, you know, you, you understand that this game is so, so difficult. And the quarterback position, there probably is no more difficult position to play. There's so much responsibility, so much on the line. And, and to throw a kid like that in, into the fire, again, with a shorthanded football team, you don't even know who's on board anymore with this McAdoo I, I touched on it a couple of weeks ago. There, there's there's guys all over that field, all over that roster that are obviously dogging it. I mean, you just don't want to expose that kid to uh, to that kind of potential, you know, a downside game. Um, maybe he wouldn't have been as bad as what happened to Peterman here in Buffalo. Um, but yeah, there, there's just there's no upside there. There's no upside there. Why not? Why not give Geno Smith a shot? And again, it, it does provide them with the potential opportunity. Um, to trade Geno Smith in the offseason. If he shows well these next couple of weeks, then there's a possibility they can they can generate an asset for Geno Smith. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Pete, I, I, I love your insight. I love your insight. Um, there's no value in Geno Smith. I love your insight. It, it's hard to imagine a scenario that creates value for GMs for Geno Smith. But – but it's, it is a possibility. It, it definitely is a possibility. It's a, it's about as good of a possibility as John Curry hiring the Savage Bird to be the next coach at the University of Tennessee, which could happen. I'm still waiting on word. I haven't received any word from the Savage Bird. If I do, I'll pass it along before the end of the show. But if Geno Smith, as a result of this game, has any value for GMs, then – that we are, and I do think I do think um, Sean McDermott has created a verb for NFL football coaches, and that is Peterman. 
It's Peterman. <laughs> they didn't want Davis Webb to get Peterman this week. So they're going to do Geno Smith in the meantime. Kip, your thoughts oh, on Lord. Eli Manning and what looks like to be the end of an era in New York. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you may be able to, to chalk this one up to a humanitarian effort, uh, have an Eli <laughs> out there, bare bones. This, this this might be uh, you know one of those mercy uh, mercy benchings uh, enough for poor Eli. He's got two Super Bowls. He's from the uh, Manning family tree, um, but to replace him with Geno Smith, my goodness, um, <laughs> Geno is as, as spectacular a burnout as any uh, any satellite hurtling back through the atmosphere. So uh, I, I I'm really not optimistic for the Giants' chances. Of course, they're playing a train wreck game. Uh, the Raiders are an absolute mess as well out there, but, but um, that 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 that's the task. It's it's the um, you know, and and maybe maybe the the web experiment has been put off a week. I think that might be a viable explanation. But um, anyway, I the, the Giants' whole approach <laughs> the last five or six years, I think Eli's decline has been as much, and I've talked about it here on the show before is the Giants' lack of a running game for the last four or five years. I mean, they went with Jennings the last couple of years. He was kind of a journeyman back, not very good. They didn't even re-sign him this year. The stable of running backs they entered this season with was just a joke. I mean, uh, Darkwall has emerged as their uh, as their main ball carrier. But, I mean, they went through three or four guys. They, they drafted uh, Gallman out of Clemson, who was a really good player in college but hasn't uh, caught on yet in the NFL. Uh, Perkins started the year as they're starting, but I mean that's just a terrible running game. I, you know, you just put too much pressure on Eli, and then he lost all of his receivers. And now the big first round tight end, Evan Ingram, can't catch the ball anymore. The last two games, I think yeah. he's had six drops. So everything yeah. has gone wrong in New York. They are just an absolute disaster. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's it's sad for Eli because. Uh, uh, I agree with you, Chip. I think his skills are diminished, and I think he's uh, just kind of running for his life right now. So maybe it, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, uh, and maybe Eli will get a Peyton type opportunity somewhere. To because God knows there's some places that he could go, including where Peyton went. Uh, you know, maybe Denver or somebody hot. You know, brings Eli in for the last two years of, of his career. Maybe he has a glorious. Uh, one last chance to lead a team somewhere, but uh, I, I think the giant era has come to a had come to a close. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, guys. Our time's flying by. We got eight. We got nine minutes left. We still got to do winners and losers, but we haven't talked about the Buffalo Bills. So I do want to talk about the Buffalo Bills because last week we we spent a good twenty twenty five minutes on the quarterback situation, and it looked like an absolute dumpster fire and a train wreck, but. Lord, you know, lo, lo and behold, they go to Arrowhead. Tyrod Taylor gets the keys to the car, and dumpster fire in the train wreck looks to be Alex Smith. So, Pete, I want your thoughts on two things. Number one, the quarterback situation this week as opposed to last week. And then number two, talk to us about Zay Jones's gravity-defying um, <laughs> This gravity-defying lift-up from the field that um, that was um, – I think it was one of the uh, specials on Monday Night Football for Come On, Man. I hadn't seen that. Incredible. We got limited time. We got a couple, two or three minutes. But, uh, you know, the 
Patriots, the New England Patriots, come into town this week. And I'm not going to say that I think Buffalo's going to cover the spread because I'll jinx you. But telling you, the Patriots are due for a loss. Nobody's given Buffalo any chance. Mm, you know, crazier things have happened. Pete, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, Brady and Belichick, the, the goats are coming to town. They own us. They're 15-2 here in Buffalo. And even the two wins really were just aberrations that we've uh, we've achieved here against the Patriots over these 15-plus years, whatever it's been. Um, it, it's hard to imagine that we could possibly win this football game, especially with the Jekyll and Hyde type of team that we have this year. Um uh, the only the only thing that's possibly working in our favor is this this Achilles you know situation that has kept Brady out of practice a couple times over the past few weeks and the rumor was that maybe it got reaggravated a touch in the Miami game this past weekend but at the end of the day he usually comes to town and 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 it's just you can imagine the lather of our crowd on New England Day. I mean, it's just the anticipation of possibly beating Brady and Belichick is greater than than anything you could really ever cook up, you know, with the exception of an actual win, a legitimate actual win, where it doesn't take four interceptions by Brady, and and really every ounce of blood that you have in your body to win a football game against this team at home. With all that said, I just can't see it. The, The team is clicking again on all cylinders again. Granted, they have some deficiencies. They haven't had, but they just keep getting the job done. Tyrod Taylor, typical Tyrod performance against Kansas City last week. Yeah. Hot in the first yeah. half, basically utterly cold in the second half. We'll take the W. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he quote-unquote outdoored Alex Smith, who is fading fast. And you can imagine that the natives are very, very restless there in Kansas City to see Patrick Mahomes under center there in Kansas City. Um, you know, leading that sure. team as they're feeding out of the playoff picture. So we'll see. But uh, as far as the Bills and the Patriots this week, gentlemen, I mean, I don't, I can't even look at the line. I can't even bring myself to look at the line. I can only imagine how, how ugly it is. And if it's even double digits, I'm sure it is, possibly 13, 14, something like that. No, I say take the Patriots. <laughs> just, just take them, Pete. It's it's eight and a half. It's eight and a half, and I'm telling you because the Bills are a Jekyll and Hyde team. Because they are a Jekyll and Hyde team is what I think works in their favor this week. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody go out and bet the mortgage on the Bills uh, plus eight and a half, but because you are a Jekyll and Hyde team is why I think it can be competitive. But I know exactly where you're coming from, and I don't disagree. Guys, we're down to under four minutes left, so I've left very little time for winners and losers because we've had so much to talk about. Kip, we're going to give you 60 seconds for winners and losers in the world sports. Then we'll go to Pete, and I'll wrap us up. While Alabama was getting embarrassed at Jordan-Hare, their basketball team uh, and playing in a tournament against the 14th-ranked Minnesota Gophers, the entire bench was ejected on Saturday. So they only had five (laughs) players left, the ones on the floor. In the next minute, one of those guys fouled out. In the next 30 seconds, another one of those guys turned their ankle. For the last 12 minutes and 41 seconds, Alabama played three-on-five against the number 14 Minnesota team and actually went on a 12-3 run and cut a 12-point deficit down to three with less than a minute to go. Uh, Sexton, the freshman, had 40 points, 14 of those 
in that three-on-five situation. So the three guys that survive and Crimson Tide end up losing by five, but those three guys are my winners of the week because that is what sports <laughs> is all about. Uh, my loser of the week is John Elway. I mentioned him before. I mentioned Denver before. Uh, John Elway has so badly mismanaged. Uh, he still has one of the best defenses in the league, but their offense is just such a disaster at the quarterback position. Uh, Osweiler was the great successor. He left the program, went to Houston for the big money. Uh, Elway drafts Paxton Lynch out of Memphis. He's basically been a clipboard carrier and gotten a couple of appearances with no uh, success. Simeon is inconsistent. So what do they do? They bring Osweiler back after he is cut by none other than the Cleveland Browns. So that's really, that's really <laughs> an endorsement of his skills. And now that's the three-quarterback sequence. They're all sharing time. What a disaster. Nice going, John Elway. You're my loser of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing. And last year, Brock Osweiler had a higher QBR than Eli Manning. With that, Pete Tasker, you winners and losers of the week in sports. <laughs> well, I'm going to go over to the Black Hole Chip in Oakland, California. I'll start with my winner. is Navarro Bowman, linebacker for the Oakland Raiders, a, a midseason pickup, a cut from the San Francisco 49ers. Had an interception in this football game versus the Denver Broncos. Uh, Kip was just touching on him. The first interception of the season from the Oakland Raiders mm. in week 11. Wow. Can you imagine? Wow. Winner of the week, Nevada Bowman, wow. the Oakland Raiders defense. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And we'll stay right in the black hole. Loser of the week has to be Michael Crabtree for getting his chain oh. snatched twice yeah. now by a team to leave. And he had it taped to his chest. How did he let it happen? <laughs> Michael Crabtree, my loser of the week for getting his chain snatched again. Yeah, that's very good. That's exactly right. My winner of the week, guys, we got two minutes left. My winner of the week, it's a unique winner of the week, it's the starting center for the Mount Perrin Christian Eagles, number 53, sophomore, Austin Lake, who has busted his tail this year. He yeah. busted his tail in the off both in the classroom and in the weight room, um, shotgun offense did not get in the first two games. In the quarterfinal state playoff game this weekend, he played every single offensive snap. The Mount Perrin Eagles travel this weekend to Athens Academy. Yes, on the SEC Championship weekend, I have to spend my Friday night in Athens, Georgia. But uh, Mount Perrin goes and plays uh, Athens. Academy going to be a great game. My winner of the week is the starting center. Very proud of him for the Mount Perrin Eagles yes. team, Austin Lake, who, if they win this weekend, they play at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium next weekend. So it'll be a big game. Oh, wow. My loser of the week awesome. is uh, is uh, Clay Travis. Um, Clay mm-hmm. Travis was uh, largely credited for what happened with Greg Schiano at Tennessee. He will be the winner for two or three days. I think for the next three or four years, because I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to hire a quality football coach, I think Clay Travis is going to be my loser for the week. My co-loser for the week is Joe Flacco, largely because I finally had to watch him play a football game this weekend. And, man, that guy's skills have have really gone down tremendously. Um, Guys, we're out of time. Got a lot to talk about next week, so make sure you join us next Tuesday at 830. Kip and Pete, thanks for joining us. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next weekend, uh, next Tuesday on the Red Zone Sports Report.
baby. Get some good stuff. Good night's sleep. Love you. Love you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.